Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden Artist Colors Incorporated became an employee-owned company in 2002, and in 2010, employees became the majority owners of the company. Despite worldwide distribution, Golden Product is still created on the grounds of the original barn in New Berlin, using the highest standards for consistency and quality. Golden constantly strives to outdo itself by operating on three principles, make the best products, provide customers with the best service, and find people who can make the first two happen. Golden makes the best art materials available from Williamsburg Oil Colors, Core Water Colors, and their vast line of acrylics. You can find them at your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Located in Seattle, Fulcrum Coffee Roasters seek to craft the perfect coffee. They have been roasting coffee for over 20 years. You can order their amazing coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com, enter code ALFREDSTUDIO upon checkout, and receive 20% off your order. Revoke is an artist born in Riverside, California, who lives and works in Detroit, Michigan. Entirely self-taught, Jason Revoke is known for pushing creative boundaries that began in the street. Although his story begins with graffiti, the artist has spent the last decade focusing on his studio practice and the evolution of process and concept. Refusing to be limited by his early recognition, Revoke allows only certain elements from graffiti culture to transition to his contemporary work. Modest materials, industrial tools, ingenuity, his name, but his proclivity towards minimalism and post-painterly abstraction has become the driving force behind his practice. Examining the question of authorship from start to finish, Revoke has developed systematic yet imperfect tools to carry out his vision and he created a number of unmistakable bodies of work. His bold balanced geometry is highlighted by the personal and imperfect sleight of human hand. He's had solo shows in places like Detroit, Los Angeles, New York, and Cologne, and has had group exhibitions in Amsterdam, Denmark, New York, Dallas, Mexico City, Detroit, Milan, San Francisco, to just name a few. I caught up with Revoke from his place in Detroit, Michigan, for a talk about making art in the street versus making art in the studio, Gerhard Richter flipping a switch, considering a painting's audience, and much more. Here's our conversation. Probably got pretty good at this over the course of the last year and a half, almost fucking two years now at this point. Um, the Zoom part of it? Well, yeah, I, I mean, did you always do things this way, or it was this... Not is this like a, I used to do okay. them in person for the most part, but I still had to set up the mics and do all the levels and stuff. So, so being based in New York, were you predominantly kind of interacting and in, in, in doing podcasts with people there in New York, or were yeah. you kind of getting out and, and traveling a bit? No, no, it was, it was New York heavy, and if I ever got anyone saying anything about it, they were like, hey, it'd be cool if you did some people. I, I would catch people when they came into town for shows. Right, But I yeah. really liked the, the energy of being in the same room or the studio or the gallery. And then I, after COVID, it was like, it was not an option. And then I realized, sure. you know what, this isn't that bad. And it enabled me to 
do ones from New Zealand and Japan and London right. and everywhere else. So I think so it's looking, opened up the world a little more to me. So looking forward, do you think that you're going to continue to kind of rely on this method for doing the podcast or, or, uh, or, or have you found yourself yet kind of yearning to have real face-to-face interactions and like go back to doing things the way that you were doing before this shit, shit, shit catastrophe? <laughs> for one reason, I think it's staying this way. Yeah. No parking tickets. <laughs> Not one. <laughs> no, I mean, I do miss the, the in-person thing. Yeah. But I will say, logistically, this is nice. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like I wasn't doing yeah. podcasts on like a Friday or Saturday night at 11 p.m. or something, you know? So yeah, right, this yeah. kind of like, you know, it was like when the pandemic hit and I wasn't going to the studio and I was just working at home, there were limitations because of my scale. I had to scale back and I didn't have like, I don't have a full-blown studio at home. I have like a little workspace, uh-huh. not like the studio studio, but there was something nice about waking up and rolling out of bed and walking in the other room and starting to work, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's all relative, I guess. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I always, I always, I, like, I, I found, I've found myself over the years getting really comfortable saying that I fucking hate people and I don't like people. Yeah. You know, I, th- I, I think, I think, I kind of my pendulum swings in the antisocial side of things. You sure. Know? Um, but you know, this last. It, what, nearly two years now it's it's really kind of like uh made me realize that like i, I don't hate people nearly as much as i thought i did <laughs> right. you know when you just uh, got it taken away you were like well, yeah people aren't that bad yeah you never know what you got till it's gone right and uh i mean i'm from los angeles like i, I got a weird history but like I, I guess i would say i'm from la more than anywhere else that definitely feels like my home uh, I spent more time there than anywhere else, but I, I've lived. This is now my second time living in Detroit. I moved here. The first time I moved here was 2011. I did not know a single person here when I came here. And part of the idea, part of what I was searching for, part of my intention for leaving everything that was familiar, comfortable, my whole identity, everything. Part of leaving LA and coming here was this like search for uh, isolation. And kind of a self-imposed kind of exile, you yeah, know. Sure. And uh, and then like you know, and then like and then my 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 at that time girlfriend, soon to be wife, now wife, she came out here. She came she came in here to join me shortly, maybe after like a year and a half of being here. And then like we got married, and then our daughter was born. As soon as our daughter was born, we went back to L.A. I was back in L.A. for six years, and then I came back here. I came back here for the second time in 2019 and, and, and like going back to LA, like I, I just had such a social anxiety, so, social anxiety, you know, like yeah. LA so loaded for me. Like I have this big network of friends and that's such a big part of my identity and like, and part of my practice too, you know, and like, but like, like, but I, I just felt for so many years, like I just, a, a real desperation to kind of create distance yeah. between me and all that. And can't coming here, in, in large part, like before social distancing was in pursuit of social distancing, and then like, <laughs> and then you and really then, got like, a second helping. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I realized like, oh shit, it's not, it's like not all it's cracked up to be. It kind of fucking sucked, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh so so yeah, like I, I've I guess I've the pandemic has like 
made like I've I've gone inward and I've realized like I need people and I like people. I miss people. I like hanging out with people. And uh, and in, in Detroit too, it's like a weird, unique situation it's because like spaces where people congregate, you know, and and just like uh, community, all of those things aren't really like in abundance here. You know, it's it's a weird it's a weird city. It's an awesome city. I love this place. It's changed my life for the better, and I'm so grateful to be able to live here and like and and and, and just have the experience that I have here and all that. But um, but it's also it's it's like it's a weird like it's weird situation. So like like Detroit onto its own can be a little bit lonely. Yeah, and and then. Uh, and then you throw like a pandemic on top of that, and it's like I'm just I'm real happy to be like like just earlier before like I came back came here to the studio to meet with you and do this with you. Like I stopped at a bar on the way here and like had a couple of drinks and like I'm like bullshitting with people, strangers, people I don't even know. I'm like I'm happy to talk. Like I'm not even interested in them, but like just like them open up and talking to me. Like man, it, it just I it 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 really. Uh, it really uh, touches on this like real basic human thing that like I thought that I I wanted to uh, I thought I, I I could I didn't need and it, it I guess it's just like got me back in touch with being like a regular like just a normal regular human again you know yeah I mean yeah. Uh, limitations really change whenever they are forced upon you. You know what I mean? It's one yeah. thing if you make that choice. But I do the same thing. I mean, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, which is kind of like, you know, it's small town, provincial. You know, you could do it in a weekend, basically. Like, you know, it's, it's Be- got that... Beautiful, beautiful, cool, interesting place. What's that? Pittsburgh is fucking beautiful. It's really cool. Oh, yeah, it's a great, it's a great place. Yeah. But yeah. it's, you know, compared to New York, it's kind of like you're saying, like, you know, it, it's a little smaller. It, it's not quite as hustle and bustle and not as sure. much going on. So... But when I go there, I feel like in New York, I just kind of hermit a little bit. Like, it's all going on out there. I don't have to go take part in everything, you know? Yeah. But when I go home, I d- want to do more. Like, I bring out my New York side a little more when I go there because I want to be more busy and check things out. Uh-huh. You know? And it's weird. It's like when the grass is always greener or something, you know? There's some kind of weird relationship. I don't I don't really know what it is or how to, like, kind of describe it or... or, or put a frame around it but there's some weird there's some kind of relationship between pittsburgh and detroit a lot of guys here i know are from pittsburgh a lot of guys that like have come here and like they they, they own bars clubs grow weed whatever like just people on the scene here a lot of a lot of guys here are from pittsburgh yeah. and it seems to be like a, a real kind of relationship and a conversation going back and forth between the city and pittsburgh it's blue collar you know it's, like, it's kind yeah. of like a blue collar like you know middle midwestern kind of city vibe you know the the, Mid- the midwest is pretty cool it is it's got the it in like chicago detroit kansas city they all have these really interesting personalities that are different cleveland cleveland yeah well yeah pittsburgher we always had an issue with no cleveland's good. <laughs> the mistake Cincinnati. on the lake is what they used to call it in pittsburgh <laughs> but you know i'm a, I'm a steelers fan because i grew up in pittsburgh it's not a choice right, uh, i'm not allowed to choose that it just happened you know <laughs> but uh yeah but they all have different personalities and there's like cool aspects to 
to all of those towns, but they kind of are similar in a way. And I think it's the the blue collarness of it or something. Yeah, yeah, I, I I'm into it. It's something um, I was oblivious to growing up. I grew up in Southern. I was born in Southern, like this Illinois Empire area of Southern California. I uh, spent most of my life floating around that area. Lived in Phoenix for a minute. Uh, lived in San Francisco, Nashville, Atlanta, Miami, uh, uh, and then here in Detroit, and and always L.A. in between. But my my view, my perspective has always been so LA centric. Yeah. And then by default, just kind of as a result of the world that I was immersed in, like a little bit of a, a little bit of like a, a competitive kind of thing and like a resentment towards New York, you know, like yeah, I sure. always was like stubbornly like LA West Coast and like kind of dismissive and and, and very uh, standoffish towards like New York stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, just, that was just the world that I was in, you know? And, uh, but I, you know, so for me, like I, I spent all these years of my life just so focused, like singularly on this kind of bi-coastal view of what, what, what was happening in America. And, and then, you know, like, yeah, again, like I said, I came here in 2011 and like, I, I always just like flew over the Midwest. I never wanted to hang out. I never wanted to explore it. I, I had, I, I, over the years I met quite a few really awesome amazing interesting people from the midwest but like my relationship was always them hanging out with me or me in la or san francisco or me hanging out with them in new york i had no interest in like go like let's go back to your city and hang at your city like why would i ever want to go there and i realized like that was such a short-sighted uh ignorant kind of point of view and like this place is really rad like yeah. Coming here has really, um, it's enabled me to have the practice that I have today. Uh, it's enabled me to do it with like, just like a, uh, without like this kind of weight and, and all this, this, the burden of all this kind of, uh, excess kind of trash, you know, totally. I know, <laughs> you what know you psych- mean. Yeah, emotional, kind of, psychological trash, you know? Yeah. It kind of like trims some of that out, right? It's a little more direct. Yeah. Or for sure. Yeah, it Absolutely. sounds like you were living the Tupac Biggie thing and all of a sudden like Eminem popped up. You're like, wait a minute. There's something in between here? Well, I, I came up as a I came up as a graffiti writer, you know. Right. Uh, uh, making art and even uh, the notion of art unto itself was just so alien and foreign to me. You know, I didn't know what art was. I didn't know uh, I, I was just you know, I I grew up in a very, uh, you know, working class family in suburban Southern California. Nobody, you know, the, there wasn't a single person on either side of my family that like had any kind of college education, uh, art and, and, you know, going to museums or, you know, any kind of like cultural enrichment wasn't really like in our, uh, in our line of sight, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. uh, I came to, I came to, I discovered art through, painting graffiti and through meeting other graffiti writers that had like a, a much broader and, and richer worldview than myself, you know, it was through like the relationships that, that I uh, was lucky enough to kind of develop through being a graffiti writer that I kind of came to this place. And um, I'm not sure where I was even going with this, but, but um uh, but oh, the, the your Biggie Tupac comment, yeah. <laughs> uh, being a graffiti writer, you know, 
Los Angeles uh, was and and the general narrative of like the the short you know uh, timeline of graffiti was always kind of considered like a lesser than you know what I mean yeah, like yeah. you know graffiti came from like Philadelphia and then you know New York kind of created it and the world was very had a very New York centric kind of um, uh, point of view as far as the history and the lineage and what was relevant and what wasn't. And LA was always kind of dismissed and not really recognized. And then also just kind of the nature of Los Angeles, it being a really kind of, uh, you know, dangerous city that wasn't really welcoming the tourists and outsiders. You know, a lot of the kind of Europeans and, 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 and other people that were kind of uh, shaping the, the, you know, in, like they were kind of the media gatekeepers, like, you know, in the world of zines and shit. Yeah, yeah. They weren't really coming to LA and fucking with LA. So we, you know, I really kind of identi identified myself as being a Los Angeles writer. And one thing that, you know, me and my friends really kind of set out to achieve and prove was this kind of, uh, you know, we really wanted to um, gain the respect and recognition of the kind of, of the, of the world, you know, and, and, and earn our place in the world stage. Right. And, uh, and so that kind of carried over, you know, into like into other aspects of my life, you know. And, and it wasn't it wasn't for a long time that uh, that I kind of like got it together and, and, and got a more adult kind of uh, perspective, you know. What I mean? Yeah, but but it was really back then. It really was about geography, or there was a kind of like these dividing lines of of ideologies based on place and all that. And I feel like once the internet like blew up it just kind of dissolved a lot of the edge of that you know what i mean absolutely i, I yeah. heard recently that there's like a hip-hop bus tour and they go to compton <laughs> yeah you know like yeah. that how how much has that dissolved the sort of you know the the location and the sort of intensity of a place in a way you know to where it becomes kind of like i don't know a story almost it, for it's sure just, i mean it, it it's different i feel like information now has completely changed the way we think about place it, we're, we're, you know we're in this weird uh cultural crux of the internet because the internet was initially was this utopia you know it was like the great equalizer it was the it was the sledgehammer to all kind of gatekeepers and like boundaries that kind of separated class separated um the haves from the have-nots, you know, people with access to education, information, uh, you know, the, the the great archives of like human history and accomplishment, all of a sudden were available to anybody and everybody that was curious and like hungry. You know, you like type in a search word and like you know you, you could you could get gain access to anything and everything, and like instantly individuals were empowered to communicate and connect with like-minded individuals, like our our little like subcultures in, in our little cities or suburbs all of a sudden became it, overnight we're connected with everybody in the world yeah. you know we start communicating with one another and like conversations stopped being local and started being global and I mean somebody like myself like I, I would it would be impossible for me to be here in this moment right now talking to you having this conversation being in the place that I'm in were it not for the internet had right. I not been lucky enough to be born in the moment, you know, 1977 and grown up, you know, in the 80s and 90s and kind of like, uh, you know, started kind of re reaching like a maturity in the late 90s and the early 2000s. And in that moment, this new technology kind of coming into play that really kind of changed the course of human history, were it not for that, 
Uh, I wouldn't be able to be here today because I have no education. Like, I, I didn't even graduate high school. I didn't go to art school. I didn't go to a master's program or any of that shit, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm not, even, I'm not even supposed to be here, <laughs> you know? And, um, but with that has come this other, like, now the pendulum swung the other way. Like, the, this kind of, the great equalizer has turned into this, like, tide of misinformation and this thing that was supposed to connect us and bring us all together and create the ultimate kind of uh, democracy has now been like hijacked and algorithms have intervened yeah. serving special interests and now we're all we're like tribalism is like it's like we're in the fucking dark ages again you know it, like it no happened can, yeah it all yeah. happened when they uh, when they shut down Napster that was the red flag sure yeah <laughs> that was the end of when the audio galaxy went away I was like damn that's the end of it I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it was utopia for a little while and then that, it was and, you it know, was awesome capitalism came to sort of like put the fences up and then the you know the the obliteration of like truth or facts and just whatever else just made it a whole weird world you know that everyone sure. lives in completely which i guess yeah. really is the world we lived in anyways but now it's just a little more accessible like all the weird shit it's just more accessible it was always yeah. there it was just some guy you know out in a in a house by himself and now like it's anyone can tap into that information or something it's kind of fucked up like not now the veil's been lifted like this dude that's next to you that you've been cool he's like damn like that's really how you like that's really where you're coming <laughs> right. from like I know, oh, I know. fuck man how do i hang out with you after this <laughs> it's, it's hard it's, it's like is it better to not know or is it is it i mean it's you know, like, have you, do you know the app called Citizen? I, yeah, my, my wife, so, yeah, my wife was messing with it for a moment, and it was, like, she's, she really, like, is, like, a paranoid kind of well, it's type. Not, and it's it, not it, for her, it, then. It, it, it drove her nuts. She had to delete that shit. That's, that's <laughs> the thing. So, that's the question. It's, like, you get bombarded with, like, you know, a person was shot two blocks away. Another, you know, yeah. a raccoon is attacking a human on the front lawn of a, whatever it is. <laughs> it's just, like, isn't it better if I just walk down the street not knowing all that stuff happened? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Worse, because what's right? better, what's worse, you know? Sometimes too much information is not good. It's not healthy. Yeah, you have to be, I, I mean, the ignorance is bliss expression has a little bit of truth, I think, in some I aspects. So. Otherwise, yeah. you know, anxiety rules. <laughs> I mean, delusion, you know, you, I, I think to be an artist in order to, uh, in order to, in order to spend a life, uh, you know, alone in, in rooms, just with yourself, like full of yourself, yep. thinking what you're doing is so important and relevant in order to just like really be like uh, narcissistic and delusional enough to commit yourself like fully to some of these ridiculous ideas and just can like stay committed to them and not never give up. I mean, it requires a certain amount of delusion and delusion and naivety. And I think that that's it's essential it's, you know it's, it's it's part of the whole kind of thing a lot of i think some of the most some of the greatest achievements that we've uh collectively can celebrate as a society are the product of people being uh so so committed in uh, to the point of delusion to to a to a singular idea or a dream definitely you know? yeah i mean that yeah. suspension of disbelief is important and you know being an artist or devoting yourself to something that is subjective and, and pursuing it like that seems crazy. But at the same uh -huh. time, we don't really know anything, right? Like it's all kind of 
any structure in the world, as we saw during COVID, it's yeah. it's flimsy, right? It's yeah. built on a flimsy foundation of our sense of stability. So it's really not there. So really, artists are just like going to school with no pants on. And it's actually kind of like more reality than anything else. You know what I mean? But everyone looks at him and is like, what the hell? That guy doesn't have his pants on. But that's more real. in its own weird way. Yeah, Yeah. it is. And we don't don't know why or what, but that's closer to reality that we don't know. Yeah, fair enough. uh, You know, it's it's a different kind of existence, I think. Yeah. So how did you know, I mean, growing up, if you didn't have creativity around necessarily or you know like you know you weren't going to museums and galleries or you didn't have people in the family who were making art. like how did i mean go well getting into graffiti i'm sh- i'm guessing that maybe skateboarding or that kind of culture was involved because i mean absolutely yeah i skateboarded I, I skate- as a kid it's probably generational too because creativity was kind of wrapped in the same box as skateboarding for a lot of us of our generation for sure skateboarding music you know popular culture uh, weird kind of punk rock fringe shit. Yeah, you know that. You know hip hop. Hip hop. Uh, Early rap. The, yeah, we called it yeah, rap I mean, back then. You know, public. So I lived and in, stuff like that. You know, I lived in Phoenix. Uh, for my 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 father picked us up when I was like four or five, I believe, and like moved us to Phoenix from the Inland Empire. Um, and uh, and and then my mom left my dad. She took me. She took me with her when I was six. And then I, when I was seven, I ended up leaving my mother and going back to be with my father when I was seven. And my father uh, enrolled. My father thought that I needed some type of like kind of discipline, you know. So yeah. he he enrolled me in the Taekwondo class. I never I never forget this guy, man. Like <laughs> he he changed my life. This guy Johnny Harrison. He was an, he was an older older dude from Houston, Texas. Had like the greasiest Jerry curl. <laughs> uh, he was the he was the coolest rad. He, this guy was this guy was he was a beautiful man. He was amazing, and he really changed my life. And there was these other two uh, these these two brothers, these two Puerto Rican kids from New York. They were from Queens. I remember one Nick. I can't remember the older brother's name, but it was Nick and Nick, and I can't remember it was Valdez. And they 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 had uh, their mom had sent them from New York to Phoenix to live with their aunt. And the, and they were they introduced me to hip hop when I was. Probably eight or nine years old. I remember the the very first the very first hip hop record I got. I stole it from Smitty's. The tape. It was a Fat Boys Crushing. Nice. And and uh, and uh, I remember they it was like a, they were like standing on top of like a crushed car on the album cover, and there was a crush there was a crushing piece on the side of the car. And then I had an older brother that I had an older cousin. I'm sorry that lived in Stockton. That was like into breakdancing, and, and they used to send me to go stay with him in the summer. And uh, I went stayed with him in the summer, and we, he took me to go see Beat Street. Nice. I saw Beat Street, and obviously, like Ramo, you know, the graffiti writer, yeah. was one of the central kind of characters in that story. And uh, and then right around this, right around somewhere, right around that same time too, Ice T had come out with his first. Uh, I, I don't know if it was his first single, but my first introduction to like. The West Coast rap hip hop was was six in the morning, and I remember Nick had he had like the twelve inch or whatever, and you and you opened it up and there was the a photo of Ice T and all his all like his posse or whatever, and they're all in front of this wall, and there was a big Ice T piece on it, and I remember like I remember it was like I C E and like the the dot above the I was like two kind of like 
mean b-boy eyes with like a kango hat and inside the t was the big uzi and there was like bullet holes through the whole thing and that just that blew my mind like that yeah. that i was really into like uh i was at that time i was a young kid i was into like comic books you know i was into like heavy metal album covers you know black sabbath megadeth and it, i was i was never really a megadeth fan uh, uh me neither but, but was, those album covers were freaky like, they were eddie eddie was sick yeah, yeah, yeah eddie yeah. i was eddie was sick but like all that 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 was like that was my like introduction to art yeah you know and uh it was through it that was my gateway into uh that and skateboard graphics you know i skated gons I, uh, remember gons those decks were yeah, like big gons was dope but i was a dogtown dude Oh, uh, dog town. Yeah, I, I used school. to skate. I used to skate for this. I was sponsored by the skate shop in Tempe, Arizona, called TNT Surf and Skate. And this dude, Dave Boydston, was the team manager. And there was another guy on my team. I think his name was Brandon Guggenheim, and he skated for Dogtown. Nice. And uh, and he was like friends with like Aaron Murray, Scott Oster, all those guys. And like those, the, their graphics and those boards. Uh, they were like everything to me, you know, and and so like that 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 world that that's like that was my world that was my portal into like visual art or whatever, you know. I I didn't know anything about anything, yeah. But that was what kind of really got me excited and and kind of led me to this place. What was um, your first like, board? My first board. What was my first board? I'm trying to remember. The first board I remember being like, I, I know I had boards before that. I, I I remember having like a, like a Kevin Staub, Neil Blender. I had oh, a I had guys, I had yeah, that yeah. I had like that iconic Gons board. I had that board. I had like the I had like the Powell Ripper. But I remember I remember the first board really being stoked on was like Hasoy. Oh yeah, Christian Hasoy, the Vert and Master. I, and then after that, it was it was Aaron Murray, like the Aaron Murray dog tone board, but like the ripples on the side, mm -hmm. like that, that's that was the only board I would ride for years. Nice, like that was that was my shit. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was my that was my kind of gateway. That was your portal into, into all that. That was stuff. my portal, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because I had like a parallel thing, but I think maybe from where where I'm from, the graffiti part wasn't part of it, you know, because I was into you know the first cassette. I think I got, well, no, my, my friend, his cousin used to bring tapes and we'd listen to like Roxanne, Roxanne, you know, and like, uh -huh, you know, yeah. like Houdini and stuff like that. But then the first tape that I got was like the ghetto boys, which was a wild scene. Cause I was pretty young and it was like contraband, you know, I couldn't let my parents, you know, hear that. So, you know, yeah. it was like, like an exotic thing. And at the same time, like all the skateboarding stuff was very visual, you know, like it was right, cool. Like yeah. the decks were exciting because it was just like all art based and stickers and all that stuff, you know. So it just kind of got me into that world of, you know, the visual side of things. I think I think the album the album that changed my life was, was Boogie Down Productions by any means necessary. Oh, I yeah, think that's that, a good one. And right around that same time, I think uh, the first Public Enemy album, Yo Bum Rush's Show, came out. That shit changed that. That changed my world. That fucked me up. So you did it, four millions. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is fourth grade or something for me. Wow, fourth, that's, fifth that's, grade. That's on the early and, side. Just saying. And <laughs> and at, at that time, I started. I I was painting graffiti, but it was like this really naive. Like I I traced the Thrasher logo and sure. I cut out a stencil, a stencil and like I used to. I remember I stole like a can of like Red Devil Ruddy Brown uh, out of my neighbor's garage 
and I, all my little skate spots, like these washes and like, and like school kind of steps and shit that I would skate at with my buddies, I would do like the thrasher stencil. And that was what that was. But um, it was probably around 89, 90 that I saw Subway Art by, oh, yeah. it was Henry Chalfant, James Prigoff. I think Martha Cooper was part of that first publication. Um, but that, yeah, that book, that book changed my life. I mean, that book was like, uh, it was like discover, like discovering the tablets. <laughs> you know, it was like, it, it, it changed everything for me. And then shortly after subway art, I mean, spray can art, uh, those books, I mean, and I, I speak for like, you know, generations of guys like myself all over the world, you know, guys in like Kuala Lumpur, Australia, uh, all over Europe, you know, South Africa, Asia. I mean, those books, those books changed the world. You yeah. know, I, those books, you know, I, I'm not a anthropologist, but, you know, from my experience, I would say that those books probably helped spur probably the biggest visual arts movement in the world. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have hundreds and hundreds and thousands of I don't want to say kids, you know, you know, now I'm a, I'm a fucking middle-aged man. You know, it's like, you know, there's like guys in there like, you know, from their late 40s, 50s, all the way down to like teenage kids still to this day, you know, every year, you know, there's probably tens of thousands of new kids kind of taking part in this, uh, new people and, and people like myself that are just like overgrown children that can't let it go, you know, 30 years later all really kind of as a direct response to that book. Yeah. You know, and it's, I mean, and, and this, this kind of movement has gone on to inform every type of visual language and media that you could, you could, you know, you could come up with really. Um, I think there's something special and important about that. I mean, it, that, the, and, and this is the weird thing, like in, in this conversation with you, like I find myself repeatedly in this kind of like inner struggle where, wanting to kind of my work to be kind of taken seriously. I still very much feel like a, an absolute outcast and an outsider, somebody who's not uh, really kind of accepted or, or kind of embraced by like, you know, like the, the contemporary art world. I feel very much like a, like a, uh, uh, an, un, an unwanted, unwelcome outlier. And I, I feel as though this is something I struggle with wanting to be taken seriously, trying to kind of create some kind of distance between that and myself, you know, uh, but it, it's just, it's so embedded in who I am. My identity is so heavily, like I, I am nobody without that. I am nobody without that kind of uh, part of my practice. I mean, it like, you know, I, I mentioned it before, like I, you know, I don't have any education. I didn't go to school. I have no formal training. I have no real kind of uh, uh credible kind of gateway into this world it's it's entirely through my own uh my own kind of uh action and, and and practice that really all kind of stems from that experience yeah that uh that has brought me to this place and and you know initially my practice was was a, a physical act of trying to uh like like in theory and, 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 and physically kind of break that, that kind of, uh, that way of, 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 of creating language, you yeah. know, like yeah. my first, my first real studio, um, my first real, uh, commitment to creating any kind of like studio work 
was was an act of trying to uh, impose these these kind of restrictions on myself, where I I I I forcibly removed my hand from the work. I I I made it uh, not possible for me to rely on any kind of gestural mark making. Like my muscle memory wasn't allowed to uh, be present in the work. I I I and I I, I started. I began this kind of this part of my life making work that was an exercise in uh, uh, like a, a self-imposed kind of uh, restricted way of of tr trying to communicate, you know. Right. And that that was uh, doing this kind of type of assemblage work where I removed my hand from the process and like the only my only means of kind of uh, taking action on the material was by cutting a straight line with a table saw. Like there was no kind of gestural mark making involved in the process. And I, I did that for years and years and years and, 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 and getting, I guess kind of getting back to where I was, what I was trying to say with this is I came back around to this place of painting after doing that for like four or five years where I felt, I felt, com I felt as though I had accomplished what I set out to do and I was comfortable kind of returning to painting and I was able to do it in a fresh new way and not kind of rely on that language that I had developed for 20 plus years painting graffiti. And, um, and it, it, I just, I can't, that, it just, it ends up, it all kind of comes back to that, whether, <laughs> whether I like, like it or not, I yeah, can't I don't, escape it, you know. Uh, it's interesting because I don't think, personally, anyone ever needs to shy away or to try to deflect whatever has made them who they are, you know what I mean? Because uh -huh. ultimately... That's no matter who we are as a working person making images, because we're all just making pictures or images, right? We're yeah. just in a compilation of like all of our experiences and where we're from and all that. So to try to negate that or to feel ashamed of it or to like, you know, flip it or something, it just doesn't make any sense because, you know, authorship in your voice is, you know, what you're made of. If people don't find it interesting, they don't, there's people who, We'll go see a show of someone in a gallery who makes, you know, who has an MFA and who is showing at the blue chip gallery or whatever. And people go in there and they don't buy it. They don't get it. And they're just like not interested in it. It seems whatever. And then there's people who will go see a mural on the street, like on Houston Street, or, and then they'll fall in love with it. You know what I mean? So I think I've, from over the years of talking to a lot of different artists, I've found that people who connect to street culture or make public art or do social practice, or different elements of making work that's not your conventional, I got a BFA and an MFA, and then I went to show in galleries. It weighs on them a bit to where it's like, there's a perception of other people feeling like, well, this isn't like art art, or or it's mm. seen as like, well, that's kind of like from the outside, and it's just, they're just images. And the education people uh. get, it doesn't matter if it's on the street, it doesn't matter if it's really the the beauty of art school, in my opinion, is conversations and community. So you meet all these people and you get the bullshit and you like throw your ideas and they come in late at night and say, oh, what's that? What's going on that one? You know, and it's kind of like that dialogue that really teaches you about communication because that's what art and image making is. It's just talking visually. So mm. if you're doing that, it doesn't matter if you're doing that on the streets or if you're doing that, you know, through spray paint or if you're doing it through performance or you're doing it through painting, it's all the same thing. You know what I mean? And, and there are people who go to MFA programs who totally shit the bed in the program. They're not there. They don't care. And they go out, they get the degree and they go out there. And there's people who never go to school and live and die what they're doing. And it's way more informed than anyone who goes to school. So I think spending any 
emotional energy on worrying about legitimacy on based on a, a school or something like that is not even worth the time, in my opinion. Sure, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. But I, 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 but I, obviously it's an insecurity that I, I still struggle with, and, and uh, it's like this inner kind of conflict that I'm still. I get it, but I would just say, with, yeah. don't let. I, w- I wouldn't even pay it any mind. Well, I appreciate that, Brian. <laughs> Thank you. Well, so I do. You know, I kind of came up in schools, right? Uh-huh. And you know, I started showing in galleries, and then in showing my work, I've had opportunities to paint murals and to do animations in the public realm, you know, projections mm-hmm. and like work in the public realm. And to me, some of the most engaging and cool sort of interactions I've had as an artist have been through like working on a city street, talking to people. And mm-hmm. I know that more people, when I do like the rag and bone wall mural, more people will see that piece in like a couple days than people will see in the gallery for like a whole month of a show. It's just a different thing, you know, working in the public realm, you engage with people in a much more direct manner. And so many people see it who would never walk into a gallery. And I think that's amazing. Like, it's a really valuable thing, you know, and it's not easy. The crowd on the street is tough. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's a lot tougher when they're like they're shooting at you and trying to send you to prison. <laughs> I can, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you deal with that stuff. I, I don't. But I, I, I love graffiti. I, I'm really interested in, I mean, I hate graffiti where it's like half-assed. You know, when people just tag and it's an awful tag, it's just like blue. Sure. I love, like outside my studio in Bushwick, there's like a wall that's constantly being redone with amazing graffiti. Like, it's just so cool to look at it. And every time I come in, it feels like it's a new wall, you know? And uh, for, I, I just, for, for, it's such a cool thing, you know? It. I, I love seeing that. I can't relate to it. I can't do that stuff, you know? Sure, yeah. The, the, the graffiti that uh, the, I, I, I feel like it would be a, a, a disservice to myself and to your listeners to spend too much time kind of focused on talking about graffiti, but but the, I, I can't help it just feeling necessary to make this one last point. Like the the graffiti that I uh, the graffiti that I spent my life painting and the graffiti that I was always interested in and in, in pursuing. Uh, it 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 was never uh, it never had anything to do with um, seeking any kind of public approval yeah. or trying to trying to uh, to kind of like to put on a show to kind of uh, seek any kind of validation for anybody outside of like my my what I what I imagine was my peers and the my uh, 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 this kind of small knit community of people that I was in conversation with, you know, right. for me, graffiti, I was never interested in creating murals. I was never interested in creating work in public spaces for the sake of trying to kind of seek validation from the public. Uh, the, the graffiti that I was always deeply invested in and committed to was this pr- very criminal practice of doing, uh, you know, being doing vandalism in the best, most elaborate, um, flamboyant way possible, and that was that was always with the intention of just communicating to other like-minded people. Yeah. You know, it. it in, in my opinion, in retrospect, now I never I never saw it this way. In the in for all 
for for the first 15, 20 years of doing this, I never, I never, I never understood it in these terms. But eventually, at some point, I kind of, whether it was some kind of just you know delusion or not, the way that I came to understand it, and looking back on what I had wasted so many years of my life doing, <laughs> was uh, it was what I imagined is the, is the really the purest form of art making. Uh, I never set out to, I never set out to be an artist or to make art really per se, but. But I but I came to understand it just through my personal experience, and uh, later on is what I've come to I've come to see it really is the most pure form of art making. It's it's doing something with with an absolute lack of any kind of pretentious intentions, without any kind of hope or 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 pursuit of like recognition outside of just respect from your peers who were speaking the same language. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't doing something that was, I had thought was fashionable to the masses or to, to, to any kind of anybody outside of my world. Uh, I never did it with the intention of, of being an artist or having an art show. Yeah. Never did it with the intention of ever trying to sell anything. I did it with the, I, all I ever wanted to do was have the respect and the recognition of the guys that I grew up idolizing and looking up to, you know, and, and, and I don't think any, I don't think there was a few of us, but I don't think many of us really saw what we were doing as art. But I think that after developing your kind of craft and, and developing your own language, developing your own kind of visual, like uh, your, your, own, your own unique vocabulary of, for communicating and doing it with this real pure intention and, and staying committed to doing it when there was no, was, when there was never, it was never even a, it was never even like uh, like the concept of having any kind of reward for doing this was it just did not exist you know yeah uh I, again like I, I i think i'd mentioned it earlier in the conversation like i feel super fortunate just to be alive in the time that i am when the internet came along and it really kind of changed everybody's experience yeah you know it, sure. it, it, it told like the goal line just got moved so far downfield like all of a sudden like all, all of this is possible and um and and then again, like e even with that, even like kind of with that, kind of acknowledging and understanding that kind of reality, like I never set out to kind of uh, to make art with any of those kind of intentions. I think that just kind of through through exposure to like things, so things and ideas and in ways of communicating, in ways of making, in ways of of making things that we're able to speak to and connect with other people. Just really being exposed to that for the first time and being interested in that and then finally having ideas that didn't really fit into the, the very small constraints of this little world that I was living in. Yeah. Did I ever have any interest in like in kind of making anything outside of that, you know? Yeah. And then also just, just like being frustrated too with like spending 20 years of my life, you know, risking prison and, you know, and, and, every, and, and just everything else over and over and over again. And having nothing to show for it, you know, like everything I'm, everything I'm like literally bleeding and, 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 and sweating to do just not existing anymore. Like if I was lucky enough to get a photo or like somebody I know got a photo, uh, that was really the only kind of thing you had to show for it. And, and you know, like 60% of the stuff uh, gets lost and you're never even able to get an image, like have an image to show for what you did. And like over the years... It starts getting like a little uh, exhausting, you know, just 
putting so much into what you what you love and do, and just it, it, and it just being this entirely ephemeral thing that maybe is 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 like remembered by like a, a small group of people in your like neighborhood or your city, uh, but but most people don't never even know it existed, you know. And I I, I think that I kind of came to this. Uh, what really motivated me to make things outside of this the kind of real narrow lane that I had been in for years before was I just wanted I wanted to I I I'm really narcissistic and egotistical enough to be really like lured at the idea of like making things and them outliving me and then being here like when I'm oh, yeah. gone you know the experience of like going to a museum and encountering a work and being you know, moved by a work, uh, and, and having it just have this like larger than life, like, uh, ex experiences that's like that it's, it's not only, um, it's not, it's not only like kind of limited to like your personal experience, but like it has this big co other cultural implication, you know, right. that you come to learn and understand you accept this kind of narrative of like what this person is and, and how, why they're relevant and what it represents. And then, in, and then physically encountering it. it's almost like this monolith to something like the, this like pinnacle of human achievement or something, you know, and like the idea of being able to make things that are going to like, out like connect that will potentially connect with people like a generation or two or three, after you cease to exist in this earth, I mean, just like from the sheer egotistical pursuit, it's that's enough for me to like be have me fired up and being in the studio. And maybe that's not something that's like in fashion to like uh, to uh, embrace or celebrate or whatever. But I think just, that's most, I'll, I'll keep it real. You know, most artists are doing that though. You know, they want to, you know, they want people to see what they do, but they would also like the idea that it would live on and that you know people would look at it in the future. I mean, everyone goes to museums and that's what that entire experience is really you know and what i mean that's what it's we all really want as artists yeah yeah it's funny yeah. though that the irony is you talk about like these fleeting moments of making stuff and then it's gone you know and there's nothing left and it's kind of like wasted time of like doing the stuff and it, you don't have anything to show for it and um and you know it's like i'm in this world i feel like i make things and they go out and for me, it's I'm I'm really interested in just the making that painting, and then then I don't care about it anymore. I'm just thinking about the next painting, mm -hmm. and I'm constantly like wanting to live in the present, and I don't really care for some weird reason. And I think I'm an anomaly in that sense. I think a lot of people do really care about when the work goes out. Like they'll check auction records and stuff like that, or worry about where the work's going. I'm just like I just want the next painting. So it's and, funny, and, you know. And, I and I don't mind the painting. If it's the painting the painting never like satisfies like you're, you're always disappointed you only see it through the through the lens of like what you could have done better or no where no you, i'm not like where that. you kind of failed or oh no, I, no. it tortures me no i think it's there's miserable. some things i do okay and some aren't that great but i it's a sliding scale it's never like really? every painting's crap and i just need to make the better one i i feel like it's part of it is the experience you know what i mean sure. because at the yeah. end of the day it as a human we only have now like there is no future, there is no past. We're constantly uh -huh. living in this moment now, no matter what. Mm -hmm. So uh, I get driven crazy sometimes when you know, like if we're on a vacation or something, and my wife gets upset a couple of days before the end of it because she's got to go back to work or something. I'm like, can we just, 
Why? <laughs> Let's live in this now and worry about yeah. that when we get to that, you know? Uh, so I'm constantly trying to live in the moment, you know, it, which is, it, that's its own kind of like problem. <laughs> do you, do you, do you, do you do a TMI or do you have some kind of meditation practice? No, I don't. I wish, no. I mean, I have done, um, it's funny. I was just talking to someone about this. I, I, you know, I taught in Japan for like six weeks and part of it was uh, doing, uh, like, you know, with Buddhist monks, like doing meditation and stuff. And that was really, really amazing, but I just don't do that here. I can't do it. I got a kid. I don't you, know. It's just busy. I can't meditate. <laughs> you taught in Japan. Yeah. Tell me, I mean, tell me about that. That sounds. It was just a summer program for, I teach at Penn state. So I did like six weeks where artists and, or people who like Japanese culture would come over and learn about, you know, the difference between Eastern and Western art. We'd go to galleries and museums and, and do fun. And they went to like Akihabara and went to like, you know, game places and stuff. It was fun. Can you, can you kind of quick cliff notes, kind of summarize what, from your perspective, you, uh, you see being the kind of differentiating factor, be it like through intention or, or like uh, aesthetics or whatever, what, what kind of separates uh, Eastern and Western art, art practice? Well, the, it's hard to sum up, but uh, it has a lot to do with, uh, well, culturally, it has a lot to do with the history of, of culture and how image making is, you know, has migrated through Japanese culture and the influence of the West on images. But there's more of a, I would say, like, In Praise of Shadows is one of my favorite books, and it's about the understanding or appreciation of what's not seen or the this, this sort of, you know, the simple things, noticing the unnoticed and the quiet moments. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, at least in Japan, there's this, um, there, there's a sort of respect for that kind of um, aesthetic uh, understanding of things that it's not the bomb bombast. It's like more the quiet. Sometimes it's the, you know, the simplicity of things that's kind of beautiful. Has that, is that something that's always been present in Japanese image making or is that something that kind of happened around a specific kind of cultural shift uh no i think that's been uh integrated into the way that um aesthetics incorporates into day-to-day -day life like whether it's like chado which is like the tea ceremony or like kimono where you layer those you know there's a lot of sort of cultural ways that aesthetics is kind of you know it's been part of the visual culture there that's just intrinsic to you know, um, traditions and the way people do things. And it, it's just, there's a beauty to it. And it's definitely different than, you know, New York. <laughs> mm, yeah. But I've always found it, I've always loved it because I, you know, when I was young, I went to see a, a show at the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh and it was um, ukiyo-e, like Japanese prints, and it was Van Gogh. And it was kind of like how they influenced uh, each other. And when I first saw Japanese prints, I was like, it just looked so cool. I'd never seen anything like it. So I was really, sure. you know, yeah. inspired by it. And I still, to this day, am fascinated by it. Right on. Yeah. But the, so to migrate back to you and thinking, and we can move on from that whole earlier stage, but I'm really interested because the first work that I saw of yours, I believe, was the linear sort of movement paintings out in the wild. I don't know what you call those, but the lines that kind of, you know, it's kind of like abstract, you know, motion. And what, what was really interesting to me is it seemed so Picasso to, or not Picasso, uh, Pollock, Jackson Pollock to me, because it's really about the dance. It's like capturing the way you move. 
and it's like a formal abstract exercise in a way you know what i mean it's it's a collection of movements that you're making and it's very performative even when you do it on canvas you know which is really just changing the medium whether it's on a wall or whether on canvas it's you know it's just different environment but there is that performative movement element of it but there's a, a connection to minimalism and you know a brevity of of a spontaneous you know capturing of a moment of movement is that something that you think about when you do that that it's you know almost like a dance that you're capturing yeah i mean i um that that kind of part of my practice started off uh as this kind of exploration of one thing and then it you know uh I don't know how other artists work. Uh, myself, I usually have no clue what I'm doing or why I'm doing it. But over the course of doing it and doing it and doing it, you you start kind of excavating all these all these uh, ideas and, and little kind of isms and discoveries that like I I I never knew were there. Um, I know that. So I know for me personally, when I when I began kind of this this new chapter in my life and this new kind of way of making work with a new intention. It, it, it was very much, uh, centered around like a, like a tool. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I really like this idea. And then, and then kind of going like looking, looking backwards at my past, I was, I, I was really interested in this part of the world that I come from where, uh, kids, young adults, kind of, kind of hack things and create tools to achieve something uh, that wasn't possible before, where the tools didn't exist. So whether that was um, coming up with, you know, going and exploring all these different kind of things available at the hardware store to intervene to kind of mix your own colors with spray paint whether it was kind of learning how to hack loss prevention technology to, to kind of create the tools and devices to steal and to get things and get materials that you otherwise wouldn't have access to. All of those kind of aspects of the culture and the world that I came from were something that I was really interested in. Uh, and then I also really was interested in this idea of stripping down what had been my life's practice up until that point painting for me up until that point was a exercise of maximalism it was an extra my identity was built around being somebody who would do a lot more in any given situation than other guys like myself were willing to do um that was something that i really took pride in but at a certain point, I started really kind of, as I started to kind of be exposed to other ways of thinking and communicating visually, I started really becoming interested in minimalism. And I, I really liked this idea of stripping down what it was that I had been doing, both through uh, action and practice, but also uh, uh, you know, materials. Really, kind of stripping it, like so. So I like this idea. So I remember being a kid. I remember I was probably twelve years old. The first time I, I really, I did graffiti. The first time I, I, I had a can of spray paint, and it's like, okay, look, I'm, I'm going to cross this line, 
and I'm going to spray paint on the wall. And I remember the ecstasy, the absolute ecstasy of just like just making that first mark on the wall. Uh, before all of the length, before all of the, 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 you know, when you say the, when you say the word graffiti, it instantly in anybody on this planet conjures up this whole library of reference images of what they think graffiti is. And, and my graffiti was, 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 uh, was, was very much like the kind of embodiment of that. You know, like I, I, I adopted all those kind of cliches and all of the, all of Everything that, that anybody would associate with, with graffiti, I, I, I embraced all of those things and, and, I, and I practiced it in a, in a maximalist way. But I remember in the very beginning, that ecstasy, that, uh, how it made me feel and the excitement of just making a mark on a surface where it wasn't intended to be, like the act of vandalism, the act of painting as a crime and the, the, the chaos and the energy that was embedded in just that very simple stroke of spray paint on a surface that didn't need to be. I wanted to, I wanted to strip away all of my language that I had developed over 20 plus years. I wanted to get back to the most basic act of like public masturbation or like, you know, just like this, like, just this like juvenile, ridiculous, pointless act of chaos, you know? And it, so, and, and how, how, uh, but up till that point, I had experimented in, in several different ways of like taking a single mark and like multiplying it and making this like unified multi-stroke kind of mark. Uh, but so I had this idea of doing it that really was rooted in me seeing that Gerard Richter film painting for the first time. That watching that man make those paintings with that massive squeegee, just just that that just that horizontal stroke and just like pulling this big object and dragging it across the surface and having it have such this like this, this explosion of action in that single gesture, I, I just became infatuated with that idea. And that was my way of kind of uh, trying to kind of discover and, 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 and figure out my own kind of minimalist pr practice of painting, a way of kind of connecting with my history and, and connecting to like the raw essence, like that, ex, that juvenile ecstasy and excitement of making that first stroke without any of the language, without any of the other, all the other layers of bullshit, just getting down to like its, its core raw essence, doing it in a big, explosive, exciting way with uh, where, it, and, and I didn't want it to rely on even though sometimes I'll do things to contradict the statement I'll make, I didn't want it to rely on big gestural kind of mark making. Yeah. I wanted the tool to do the action. Right. I wanted the tool to do the speaking, and I wanted the tool to really be an extension of my body and the way which my body moves and interacts with a physical surface. So I wanted to just be able to walk down a block without really kind of doing too much some of the little glitches and, and bips and bops and steps and, 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 and leans really are just from the, the physical weight of this tool that I've made and, and my clumsy failings as a human being to navigate the surface. And every once in a while, I'll get kind of control of it and throw a little stylish little, little, little zip zap in there, you know? Yeah. But really, it's just this minimal, raw way of me kind of connecting with my history and trying to reimagine it into something new. And, and, and have a conversation with, with 
visual language beyond the the limits of this world that I had been, spent so long in. Right. And I, and and you know, I, you know, often it's at it's at the peril. It's at the you know, like I've been, I've had, I've got such heavy, you know, I'm somebody who you know, I, I've 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 earned quite a bit of recognition within my peer group, you know, and, and I've done it for a long time. And a lot of people that like uh, feel a real kind of connection to me and what I did, they're really offended by this. <laughs> you know, it's like it really, really, really offended by this. And and me, I, and, and that's part of the performance for me. Like me kind of flipping upside, like literally just taking my toolbox, turning it upside down and dumping it on the street and just doing something entirely new and kind of in a lot of ways destroying my own ego, destroying my own identity, uh, you know, trying to kind of open up myself to a conversation bigger than this little world that I've been in and really kind of rejecting my ego and, and the place that it, that it exists and trying to, uh, trying to really kind of start over again and be excited again, be, be young and enthusiastic and hungry and curious and excited again. Uh, for me, that's what that really, that's, it's been, it's been an exercise in kind of doing that. Right. It's just, it's just trying to, trying to be excited about painting it without doing what, what, you know, what make, what, what kind of on the surface makes sense is like, oh, like this is how you paint and what's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, uh, you know, I, I, I've seen that, I've seen that Gerard Richter film painting and that just that blew, that changed my life you know blew me away uh again like i you know I, I i never i never went to school i didn't have teachers for me that was going to school yeah. for me seeing that film it, it 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 turned my world upside down and i had never seen somebody i'd never seen uh i had never seen the, just the the whole kind of the pro like and just just him and like his his history his lineage like all of the different chapters of his life, life's work, all of the different, different kind of uh, bodies of work that he committed himself to, uh, you know, did really, really well, and then just kind of just cast him aside and started over again and reinvented himself over and over and over again. And like all of the absolutely incredible earth-shattering things that he had done up until that point, and, and that was what, in this moment, you know, he was, um, he was so, uh, committed to, you know, it, like an absolute rejection of everything he had done before. I found personally, I found that very inspiring Sure. And, yeah. and just, and just, and just, but just that, that just the watching that, that man move with that big, big tool, watching the way, just the most simple, the most simple movement of his body and, and, and what it created this, this explosive, uh, panoramic kind of portal into an entirely different dimension that that happened as a result of this minimal kind of action. It's that for me that was earth shattering. Yeah, and the sound, the sound of the of that squeegee scraping against the the canvas, like that shit. Just I, I mean, it just I, that was it for me. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's that's my kind of homage to him, and uh, and and other things as well. You know, and, and a lot of a lot of the kind of different series that I've been exploring and doing with over the over the years like that they're they all kind of share that like like these kind of loop paintings that i've been making i mean they're like heavily 
inspired from and like kind of in my ways like a an homage to like Frank Stella's kind of line paintings, yeah. you know, and 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 then also like William Bazinski and his sound compositions, the the kind of the disintegration loops, like they're kind of equal parts informed and inspired and in, in, in kind of an homage to both of those guys. Um, you know, you know, just just media media is how, you know, that that's kind of how I've been informed about art. You know, the internet, again, going back to like what we were saying earlier, it's like, you know, just, just being able to like sit down in front of a computer and just kind of go down a tunnel of like anybody that you discover and, and, and learning about their work. You know, I didn't, that wasn't possible for me up until that point. Yeah. So it's changed my life, you know, and I feel super privileged to just live in this moment. Yeah. To be able to participate in that. In all honesty, I think most people, that's how they encounter that stuff anyway, even if they're in school. It's just like they're seeing sure. the books or watching the videos. Someone, it's, it's like you're watching that video and you get, it rocks your world. And then someone else is just in a classroom and a teacher rolls in like an old TV and puts in a VHS tape and plays it. And then it rocks your world. There's no difference, really. And here's a question for you I would posit that the only reason why it's difficult for you to make that transition from, you know, that first stage to the next stage is just because you did have a lot of people who followed you or were interested in your work because if no one cared or gave a shit about what you were doing it wouldn't be a hard move you know what <laughs> i mean like so, Ger yeah. gerhard richter it's only a hard move for him or picasso or you know it, it's only a hard move if you're famous or known for something like here i'll give you an example if Led Zeppelin all of a sudden, you know, after like Led Zeppelin 4 just started doing like, you know, folk songs or, or you know, I don't know, like hip hop or funk or something, it would only be a big deal because so many people identify them to their music. But if you see bands that no one cares about and they, they go through stages of like changing their sound and it's not a big deal. So it's only mm -hmm. the pressure is only that you feel like there's this community of people who quote unquote like know you as that guy who does that thing. When essentially you have to do your thing, whether that's taking a change in direction or whatever. And it's it's really funny to me when I look at your work too, because I would say that I would think in, you know, the way that you're doing your work and, and how it looks, I think you're much more in line with like John Cage and Rauschenberg and, you know, or Agnes Martin than Keith Haring and Basquiat or people like that. Uh, well, that's that's an uh, an incredible compliment. I just want to publicly take this opportunity to thank you for saying something that means everything in the world to me. It, it, I mean, I don't know if I would I don't know if I would really agree with that. Just uh, what the work is it, it, the work is in dialogue with that. Well, I, I just I, I I hardly think I'm in par with any of those those like monumental people. But I but it is something that I find really frustrating. Uh, it's like if you use spray paint or you have like a like a like a moniker, uh, if you have any kind of history of like making work on the street, you're just immediately kind of cast into this lower bin of like street art or or, or what, is, what is another term that you urban art or you know just these like bullshit whack phrases that they try you know uh, to kind of just sum you up and and dismiss you as being uh, part of this other this thing that you know. Uh, it's it's a bit frustrating. Um, I know that you know I I've, I've it, I find myself on a bit of an island. Uh, I don't have a 
I don't have a lot of uh, peers or contemporaries to eat, to just kind of just just talk about our ideas of what we're doing. Uh, you know, there's a few artists I got relationships with and we talk to. A lot of my friends from my world, there's we don't have a lot of common ground anymore. And the, you know, we talk about other things. We don't really talk about this stuff. Uh, but it's it's a bit frustrating. I find myself. Uh, I've spoken with a couple other guys that kind of share the same frustration. You know, it's like if you if you if you've painted one mural, <laughs> you know, you might not even be somebody that like comes from our world. You know, like I have a, one friend in particular. I'm, I'm I'm thinking of, but he's like he's painted like a couple murals. He's he's not a street artist. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like now he's forever typecast in that kind of uh, that bin. You know, I, I mean myself, I'm not a muralist. You know, and I've never I've never been a street artist. I was a graffiti writer. And then I isn't it I'm all semantics though? To be honest, yeah, but but I mean that like are we I mean, we just make images? It doesn't matter if it's on a yeah. wall. It doesn't matter if you use spray paint. It doesn't matter. I feel like that's just getting sub- too worked up about how people subject, categorize stuff. Yeah, but a fate subject to those kind of semantics. I mean, lang- you know, we we make things because uh, we're trying to communicate something. You know, that transcends language. Uh, you know, we. Uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm constantly frustrated trying to uh, put into words how I feel and what I what even uh, even uh, even when it's trying to understand what it is that I'm doing myself. Um, but it but it has to it has to be and it and somehow it makes sense intuitively. You you follow this kind of thing that makes you want to make something and and I and and you can't even you can't even put into words and articulate why it works when it works and why it doesn't work when it doesn't work. Nor should like you have to. That's why we're artists. We make pictures. We don't have, we're exactly, not writing essays yeah. or talking about it. That's the beauty of it. You know what sure, I mean? Yeah. And to be honest yeah. with you, a couple of things. One is it doesn't matter. Like the amount of people who miss your, what you're trying to get at, you know what I'm saying? Or like mm. or misunderstand you as an artist. The same amount of people, if not more, misunderstand what I'm trying to do with my work. It, most people misunderstand art or visual things. <laughs> so you kind of just have to do your thing, I yeah, think. Yeah, fair because enough, if yeah. you get frustrated that people don't get what you're trying to do, then we should do something that's more literal, like write an essay or, you know what I mean? Or just yeah. you know make a film, a, a narrative story or something. So yeah. we can't be in the profession or the the act of in creativity of making something that's based on subjectivity there's no rules there's no real truth to good and bad and get annoyed at people that they don't understand exactly how we feel or what we're trying to get across because mm-hmm. we're entering that genre you know what I mean? mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> do you know what i'm yeah. saying i think Absolutely, you just yeah. you have to just get comfortable with the fact that people are just not going to they're always going to misinterpret or misidentify or you know they just uh, people aren't going to get it you know but but if they did all get it it would kind of be boring <laughs> like if everyone got you perfectly i mean you know like there's something to be said for that yeah yeah like well, think of a musician yeah. like you know i'm sure uh let's i don't know what's a good example like like emo bands, you know, like Fugazi or or Black Flag or or punk, 
you know, when they first started coming out, people would cast them as this or that, and then they would uh, they would get annoyed that like, oh, don't label me as like an indie rock band or you know, whatever. Like they get sure, annoyed yeah. at all that, and and at the end of the day, the music just is the music, and after yeah. time, people will just see it as what it is, and if you start, sure. you know getting too worked up over boundaries or what people call it or you know it, i i think it's really healthy for us as artists to have a strong part of our mind that is i just don't give a shit and i yeah, found the sure. older i get yeah. the stronger that voice in my head is <laughs> i think i i think for me personally too i, I always like kind of creating an enemy I'm like, oh, I think I'm like, yeah, that's something though, right? I think I'm like psych, like a little psychopathic, and, and I, I want to, uh, I have to, uh, I got to be angry. You know, I have to feel, I have to feel. That's uh, motivation, though. Maybe yeah, just like yeah. an athlete will look at the other team and say, "I'm getting that guy." You know what I mean? Like you, you yeah, pump yourself yeah. up. Can you imagine yeah. a sumo wrestler being kind of like chill and like whatever? It's not a big deal. Yeah, I love I that. I think guy. it goes so well. You know, yeah. you got to have like, the fire of motivation. So maybe yeah. you get something from feeling that, like, I'm going to prove these people wrong. They don't understand that just because I started with graffiti, that this isn't real art. And, you know, and maybe that, and trust me, a lot more people know who you are as a creative person than me. <laughs> so, so it's not about, uh, you know, getting out there or something, you know what I mean? Or like how many people mm -hmm. know about you. So it's, it's more of like, well, people just don't get me, but, but people are seeing your stuff, whether you, whether they get it or not, or whether they like it or not, we can't control that, you know? Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I'm not trying to chill you out because I feel like that fire within you is a driving force and it's, it's important, but at the I, same I think time, I'm more, I think I'm, I think I'm very comfortable being bitter and miserable. <laughs> <laughs> i get it i get it like you were saying i'm afraid of not being bitter and miserable <laughs> probably more honest well like yeah. you were saying earlier when you were you know well i just generally don't really like people and then you get into quarantine you're like wait a minute they're not so bad yeah my wife's favorite i was, shirt, I, I, was I was dreading this conversation before we began and i'm really enjoying oh, it shit, now you so. were dreading it oh no i was dreading Am I it that yeah, bad? no and that has nothing to do with you it's no <laughs> reflection on you yeah. my wife's shirt that she liked that she saw during the pandemic that someone had online was it said uh, I like coffee and about three people it's <laughs> 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 pretty good yeah like I can relate one. to that <laughs> I can relate as well yeah. we should be wearing this shirt right now on the zoom call I know right yeah I need to order it I'm sure it's somewhere out there Three, three now four. Four, yeah. We'll add. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're yeah. cool. You're, you're not, you're not so bad. I like you. <laughs> I can hang out with you. Thank you. Uh, well, I've got an idea because <laughs> you were talking about, you know, not having that release or whatever. And there's like a few artists that you talk to. I have a solution: spinoff podcast. We just do a weekly like, version of this. It's like a weekly affirmation like of like artists who feel like, you know what, you guys don't get me. Like the like the barbershop artist edition. Oh my god, that'd be so good. Yeah, have you watched that show? Barbershop. Yeah, on HBO with like LeBron James and musicians oh, and no. athletes and all. No, but I just thought you meant like the barbershop culture of like. Well, I, I think yeah, that too. I sure. went straight yeah. to Coming to America, which is one of my favorite <laughs> scenes of all time in the barbershop. Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall is three different people. Oh, so good, man! That was. Yeah, and you mentioned one. Jerry Curl earlier, so I couldn't help but think of Soul Glow. So that's the second time Coming to America's. Podcast. 
popped into my head. Earlier this morning, I was lying in bed with my eight-year-old daughter, and she was watching Parent Trap for the first time. And, and it like when I had to explain to her that Lindsay Lohan is the same actor playing oh, yeah. both roles, yeah, yeah. it blew her. It blew her She's mind. Like, she didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, those are those moments, those learning moments in life. You're like, wait a minute, is that those are all Eddie Murphy? Mm, like as a genius. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. So, um, well, what are you? So, what are you working on now? Like, because it looks like you know you're still using the tools, and then you're migrating other tools. Uh, like, what? Where's your work at now? As far as like the process and like what you're we are working through and then you have a show coming up right or is it up now well i have a show up right it's now the here in detroit library it, street it, collective right yeah i'm i'm super lucky to work with this amazing group of people this gallery here in detroit library street they're just like the best people on the planet um i have a show with them currently right now it's kind of the culmination of all of these different series and explorations that i've been doing over the last seven eight years um uh, and you know, for me, this sh- it, everything I've been doing, kind of in a lot of ways, has been leading up to this show. And I've been working. I've been working. I've just kind of been working frantically in the studio for years, really. But this, but you know, I came. I took a little. I took a break when I when I moved here from LA. I took a minute. Like uh, like I, I found an amazing building. I bought a building. I built it all out. Kind of finally, kind of created this kind of the space that I had been fantasizing about and wanting forever to ha- kind of have the space to do all these ideas yeah. that I've, you know, and, and really kind of do them in a way that for me uh, was not having the space that I needed really kind of got in the way of that. Um, that happened for me about two years ago. And then the last two years have been just, just really kind of working. Uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not like, I'm just not real good at like doing things in moderation, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I just kind of, I get into doing something and like, that's all I do, you know? I'm like being in the studio like three, four nights a week to three, four in the morning is just like common for yeah. me. And I've just done that for like two years. And, and then like, the, so the show is like, the show is done. Uh, and I'm kind of just, I came in here today to do, to, to, to my space to talk to you. It's the first time I've been in here and like, Eight days. That's healthy, and though. It's been to take that it's little been break. Fucking amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exhale. <laughs> it's been yeah. And so, what am I doing now? I don't. I'm just trying to uh, step back away. I've had all these kind of little things on the like. I've been, you know, you get so into like uh, just kind of work mode, just like making, make. I have, you know, making these, making these pieces, making the piece, and you, and then you know, I've, so I have these like kind of little, little like flickerings like out out like in the corner of my eye and I um I, I think I'm going to spend this next year kind of experimenting and playing yeah. again nice um but so great you it, made your space like I would imagine in LA it's harder to I mean there's more space there than like New York but I imagine it's hard to like make your space you know it sounds like you did and that's that. I mean the space is one thing but that's also kind of what's be what makes being here in this city so special yeah. um you know, you live in New York, you know, the reality of being an artist in New York, you know, uh, it's, you know, this place is like, this is kind of what I imagine New York was in the fifties and sixties. You know, it's like someplace nobody wanted to be. 
space is uh, it's in abundance. It's not a it's not a rare commodity that's being you know being being kind of uh, fought over right. at a premium. Right. You know Rough here it's like. <laughs> But yeah, but I mean, you know, with that comes like just this amount of like freedom, like financial freedom. Definitely, like, yeah. Here, like ten thousand dollars here is 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 like what a hundred. You know, it's it's like what a hundred thousand dollars is in L.A. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's just uh, you're able. Like for me, part of coming back here was just being able to just breathe and not. Yeah. I don't. I don't like my. I don't like working in a situation where you're always having to kind of factor into like what risk can i take what makes sense right you know here you uh it's a really unique situation where like you could you have the freedom to kind of uh sit back kind of breathe uh have room to kind of explore play around and and have fun undervalued Uh, those things are undervalued because people think you got to get in a rat race you know what i mean and and there's something to be said for is what's up, man. Breathing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, and, and yeah. also when you have a family, too, that's another level. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm 44. I've been married for nine years. i got an eight-year-old daughter. Like, quality of life, like, for the first time in my life is my priority. Yeah. You know, it never was before. Uh, because now it's, you know, I'm accountable to something greater than myself. You know, there's, yeah. there's people that that uh, are counting on me. And i got to be there. You know, and, and like, up until this point, I, I've been working a lot. So this is the first kind of moment I've had since being back here where I have the space to kind of breathe and just like hang out and like fam jam. Yeah, you know? definitely. Uh, I'm trying to do that. Well, and then when I start kind of coming back around into the studio, uh, my plan is just to kind of play and experiment again for a while and see what happens. I feel like I've kind of created all these different kind of uh, different kind of kind of series within this larger body of work that I've been developing over like the last... I don't know, like roughly eight years or ten years or something, and uh, I think that I've done a lot of what I want to do with each of these things. Although there's definitely a lot more that I could do, but uh, now I feel like I, I'm like ready to be in a place where I could kind of sit back, chill, yeah, kind of breathe, fuck around, throw, sh- just make a mess, you know, yeah, for sure, pick things Freedom. up off the floor yeah. and see what I could do with them and see what happens. Like that's, I'm like I'm stoked. And excited at being in that place again because it, it's been just kind of like crazy yeah. for a while. Yeah, you know? no, I've looked at like Pittsburgh. It's a real estate. I'm like, man, it's no Dude. joke. You could have a big old studio. Philly too. I mean, Philly's just like a hop, skip, and a jump away from New York. I mean, Philly's you could, cool. You, yeah. could, you, could, you, could, you could get it on Philly, yeah. man. Like for sure. Yeah. And the music. Yeah. Oh yeah. What what's the music situation? Are you listening to music while you work? Yeah, I mean, music is everything, man. Music is a big part of like my whole life and everything. It, but I don't know how. I, I don't know. I like a lot of my some of my friends are like in the same kind of age range as me. Like we all we're all just like super frustrated and bummed. Like there just there hasn't been just that that like juicy shit that just fucking just you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for me, the only dude, the only shit that's like really got me fired up and going is like Tom York Radiohead. Oh, really? You know, it's like oh, that's cool. I mean, there's. There's not. I'm just having a. Maybe it's because like I, I'm not on. I don't fuck with Spotify. Uh, I guess a, a lot of people discover new music through that. But I'm just not finding stuff that's like really getting me going. I'm just. I, 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 the last few years, I'm just going like. Maybe this is like a. This is a scary like sign of getting old and, and getting was, redundant and irrelevant. But I'm just. I'm going back to you, Ben. I think that's 60s what's and happening. 70s. <laughs> 
I think at one sixties and seventies music, man, is like where it's at. Yeah, I think yeah. that I think that happens because I think at a certain point, you know, a few years ago, you, I'm I'm starting to think, well, it's just not like it used to be. And I think as soon as you have that moment in your head, that thought, that's the, that's, it, that's we're death. getting old. Yeah, it's dad. <laughs> that's life. creative death. That's dad. Life, right? <laughs> Fuck that. No, it's I know. I, I force myself. Although I will say that since I started teaching, you know, a while like six or seven years ago, it's helped me get back into the 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 new loop. You know what I mean? Of trying to. So you so you have a conversation going with young kids. Yeah, and my kids in high school. You know, he tells me what's not cool, and or you know, he's into stuff. So. So so you got to hook me up. You got to you got to send email me or send me DM me some like I'll some do it. stuff to get me fired up. Well, you know, I'm, you're in Detroit I'm, I'm too. You got Detroit's got some pretty good stuff. Absolutely, some really yeah, good there's music. A, there's a there's a great electronic music scene here. Um, from Ghostly, who you know they're from Detroit originally, and like that uh-huh. label's great. There's a lot of really good music, like Shigeto and people. Yeah, like with po- Portage uh, Portage Sounds or Portage Garage. Yeah, I mean they they got some really cool shit going stuff. on. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that lo-fi stuff is like blowing up, man. It's weird. It's just so big right now. Just lo-fi beats, you know, like chill beats. It's like the almost like the Muzak version of Jay Dilla. <laughs> Yeah, but it's good. Yeah. I mean, when you're working, it's some some of it's it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff like I, that. I guess Spotify. I do, I do hit that pretty hard because it's. I mean, you know, I grew up going to you know get records and stuff. You know, that was the way to find stuff. But I'm such a a lover of music from all walks of life, all genres and stuff that. Uh-huh. Something like Spotify is like a kid in a candy store. I mean, it's just so much stuff on there. I never, I never in a million years thought I would say these words out loud, but I've kind of been getting into like, old, like, like the cool old country. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, I mean, like, like Hank Williams Senior, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, or or like even like George Jones, or I, I really like Towns Van Zant a lot. Yeah, you know, Gr- Graham Parsons, I love that shit. You know, Flying Burrito Brothers. Um, I've been getting into that stuff. I mean, I never, I lived in Nashville for a little while and I just, I just despise country music with a passion. Oh, you didn't so I go never honky thought, <laughs> Fuck no. Are you kidding? Me? I that loved it. Too? I had a show at the it Frist. Was, I loved that place. Really? It was so, I loved Nashville. It's, it's interesting when I talk to other people that have gone, like, especially like in Los Angeles, it definitely became like a real like in thing to do, like to go to Nashville. Yeah. And everybody's just so geeked up and fired up in that place. My father still lives there. I go there every once in a while. For me, it's just a special kind of suffering. I can't. Yeah. I'll chew my own arm off to get away from that place. I hate it. Yeah. But that just might be because of my, my experience was there in the you got Nashville the baggage. You know. Yeah, I, I did. I came with no baggage, <laughs> and I'm a guitar person. I love playing guitar, and I went to this store oh, really? on is it Broadway that Main Street? Yeah, yeah, Broadway. Oh, there was West a guitar End, yeah. shop that had. Like five Gretches that I wanted from like the fifties, you know, it was just uh-huh. amazing. So that that added some charm to it. I'm a real sucker for the steel slide. I, oh I love yeah, that sound. yeah, yeah. That whaley whiny sound is, is, is it does it for me. The band I was in right before we kind of dissolved. Um, my friend who played trumpet and trombone in the band, he started bringing in his pedal steel, and uh, oh, wow. it was a pretty cool sound. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that stuff. You ever listen yeah. to uh, Speedy West, Jimmy Bryant? No, no. It's like old-timey no, like guitar and pedal steel. It's really good stuff. 
Speedy West and Jimmy Bryant. Yeah, they played together a Which, lot. Speedy when we wrap this up, crazy. I'm gonna look it up. Really? Yeah, it's a super fast like pedal steel stuff. It's like old like Could, kind of bluegrassy, but but more jazzy. Thank you for that. Sure. Yeah, I can send you a yeah. list. Please. Very much appreciate it. Thank you. For sure. Um, yeah. So so you got the show up, and I don't need to promote it. I mean, you got plenty of people who are following you and checking out your work, right? <laughs> people know. <you. laughs> the the gift and the curse. <laughs> Is it? Yeah, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. I fly under the radar. <laughs> got to keep a low profile, you know. But no, that's it. yeah. So people, should, if they're in Detroit, check out the show. I mean, do you have anything else out there right now, or is it mostly that? And then you know, checking out your work online. I have um, I have a piece in a show at the Akron, Ohio Museum of Contemporary Art. Nice. I think it opens. I think it opens tomorrow. Or shit! Oh shit! I think it may have opened tonight. Here, tonight or tomorrow right now i missed it maybe yeah maybe. <laughs> i think it's actually it might be happening right now i didn't i didn't go um it's uh god what is the name of the show god, i feel so bad right now i don't oof this is I, terrible I, it's, it's i'm fun. really fumbling the, I, I can't remember i don't either. know the i can't remember the curator or the title of the show or the name of the show uh but it's at the akron ohio museum of contemporary art i've never been there i plan on going there very soon nice. um that's happening. Uh, yeah, the show here at Library Street in Detroit is happening. I think that's on view through November, early November, mid, mid-November. Um, and then, yeah, and then uh, uh, after that, I think I'm not doing anything until, uh, I think later this year, I'm doing something in Athens, Greece at Diohora. Nice. Uh, I'm doing a residency before that in a month in Mykonos, which I'm really fucking oh, looking wow. forward Some to. Oh, wow, some travel. Yeah. I'm missing I'm so it, man. Ready. It's been... Dude, yeah. I have a show opening up in Japan on the twentieth, and I can't go, man. And I'm doing, I'm doing a mural, but I can't do it. You know what I mean? Someone else has to do it. I'm very sorry to hear that. Yeah, that's, um, a that's a bummer. Last year I had a show in Greece and a show in Korea. Wasn't able to uh, go to either. Korea. You know. I want to go. Yeah. To Korea really badly. Korea's awesome, man. Yeah. Soju and Korean barbecue is. They got it all figured out there, man. It's it's they live good there. No no joke. Yeah. That garlic is good for you, man. I love that stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm into yeah. it. Yeah, I want I want to, I want garlic until like your nostrils are on fire like that. I'm, there's I'm 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 really into. It's garlic. really healthy for you though. I feel, every time I feel a little twinge of not feeling good, I just make you know like garlic fried rice or something with like a ton of it in there, and I feel like it just destroys your insides in a really good way. It just like wipes really? everything out. <laughs> Yeah, it's good stuff. Keep that in mind. Yeah, but belief is everything when it comes to the body. Oh, totally. It? Yeah, it's all mind yeah. state. You know, mm, I, I believe for sure. It, for sure. Mm, mm. Cool, man. Well, 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 well. Congratulations and good luck in Japan. Thank you. I'm bummed to hear that you're not going to be able to travel there. That sucks. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> I mean, what do you? How much longer? I mean, we know, we're just like throwing a fucking pebble in the cave, aren't we? But like, I don't know what. What do you think? Another year? I don't know. Uh, I think it's going to slowly, well, I mean, what do I know? But I think it's slowly going to normalize into like the flu. And then. I mean, it's, yeah, it seems like it's part, it's here to stay. It's just yeah, part of our life. It's going to mutate and we hopefully we can kind of adapt to it in a way that it that just doesn't become so lethal. But I think that'll naturally happen. I sure hope and so. Then, but I do, not to sound negative, but I do think it's the Earth's way of trying to 
get rid of some of us because we're like well, destroying this place and it's fighting back. I have a lot of those same beliefs, but I, I think that you know these aren't popular ideas that I lost my dad really to COVID. Wanna... I mean, I'm wow. It, I'm sorry I'm to hear that. It. You know, I'm just saying. Wow. I think that you know, and every almost every day, my son talks to me about you know the the crisis of the, of the environment. You know what I mean, and how we're just like we're hitting. Supposedly, yeah. we're hitting this point of no return. And, you know, it's real. It's like the earth is going to probably fight back against us because we're we're not doing a great job at, like, turning it around fast enough, you know? It's yeah, the biggest yeah. crisis that we have, you know? It's, it's like, Absolutely. You know, and, you know, when you have a kid, you think about that shit because it matters, sure. you know? Like, what are we leaving them? And this planet is like, it has a consciousness of its own. Totally. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's one big organism. It's pushing back, yeah. yeah. Uh, man, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear about your father. I'm very sorry to hear about that. That's, that's a shame. Yeah, it was, it's, I mean, you know, it happened in February, so I've kind of come to, you know, it was hard. Early on? It was hard. Um, well, it was in February, and he was, you know, yeah, it, I guess that February was, last year. Oh, or February, no, no, this, February year? this year. It was late on. Oh wow! Yeah, it was oh, late wow. in the game. Sorry to hear that. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's why it, you know, just saying like I, I know I'm not trying to be insensitive to say that like it's Earth's way, but yeah. you know, I do think disease and stuff like that it tends to happen when overpopulation and things like that. So just being, it's not that I want that to be the case, but you know, like we got to start turning things around here. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, I think it's put a lot of things into perspective. Yeah, my my son's yeah. that this is his uh, reasoning for wanting me to get an electric Mercedes or like a electric Tesla or something. Do they have those yet? Yeah, they do. There's a Mercedes, a fully electric Mercedes. Yeah, now? yeah. He's really in. I mean, you can ask him about it. He's really into cars, man. He knows all of it, and he wants <laughs> a nice. You know, he loves that stuff, man. He wants yeah. it to be, you know, good for the environment. But really expensive and nice, you know. So like, <laughs> this new Mercedes, you got to check it out. <laughs> we can compromise and try to do things for the greater good, but it's got to be luxurious. Yeah, got to look good in that saving the earth. Got to make it sexy, right? Yeah, the yeah. only way we're ever going to sell it. Like, yeah. you better start Nobody's going to do it on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> we got to monetize before we do that. <laughs> He's like, give me like two or three years. I got you. <laughs> That's funny. Cool. All right, man. Well, listen, it was great to talk to you. Likewise, and, um, likewise. I've been, I, I'm, I'm being dead serious and honest with you. Ever since I first started seeing that kind of like merging of, and I told you like that merging of like minimal gestures and in the public, like on walls. I just, I found it really interesting. So it's, it's really cool to talk. Thank to you. you. I'm, I dig the work. I, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And, and I love what you're doing. I listen to it regularly. Thank you. And uh, I'm honored to be uh, to be invited to be here in a part of what you're doing. So thank you. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Thanks. Recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to soundvisionpodcast.com. Check out images on Instagram at soundvisionpodcast. And leave a rating or review on iTunes if you can. It helps out, I think. I don't really check it out, to be honest. But hey, I've heard that good reviews are good. But as long as you made it this far, that's all that matters. 
thanks a lot for listening and uh lots of good episodes coming up some really cool people get to talk to so make sure you stay tuned one last thing i have a show opening october 20th in tokyo japan called new world at maho kubota gallery i can't go check out the show i can't be at the opening because of the quarantine there and i'm also doing a mural in aoyama obviously i'm not painting it someone's gonna paint it for me because i can't be there but if you know anyone in japan in tokyo who might want to check it out maho kubota gallery check it out and you can find images online at their website hope you can check that out 